Welcome to this gathering of Anchor Church. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors for Anchor. Um, and just what a blessing to be a part of this church uh, for, for many years and to, to um, be blessed to be able to, to serve in the capacity of, of coming today and, and, uh, and preaching God's word. And so I just appreciate um, all of you uh, for, for being my church, being, being the community that my family um, gets to be a part of and serve Jesus with, and it's just such a blessing, and I'm so thankful for it. Um, before we get started, I did uh, just want to start with, with a word of prayer, um, specifically for Thaddeus Pack. Um, I heard from Andrew today that um, his counts are, have been down a bit, and they need those to go back up so that he can um, do another blood marrow um, draw and, um, and then start chemo, another round of chemo. So um, he asked, us to, asked me to um, lead the church in prayer for that, and so I just asked you to pray with me. Uh, Lord, we come before you knowing that you are our creator. You know um, every cell in our bodies. Lord, we know that you know what is going on in Thad's body. We know that you are the great healer, and so we ask that you would heal him, that you would bring his counts up to the level they need to be at, Lord. We just pray that you would just deliver him from this um, sickness, that you would um, eradicate the leukemia. Lord, we pray that, that the test would show no leukemia uh, when, they, when they draw again. And we do ask, Lord, that you would just continue to be uh, ever-present in, in Andrew and Tanya and the kids' lives as they, um, as they look on and, and support um, dear Thad. And so we just ask for that, Jesus. Um, thank you that, that we can trust you. Thank you that we can come to you with these things. And thank you that you hear us. And so we ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Okay, so we're in the second Sunday of Advent, and this isn't working for me. I'm going to have to move around. Sorry, I get antsy. Um, so the second Sunday of Advent, and as uh, Eric talked about last week, um, Advent is a season of preparation. It's a season of making room. Um, this, is, this is a traditional uh, celebration in the church calendar where the, for the four Sundays leading up to uh, Christmas Day, um, we, we, we prepare ourselves, um, not just for celebrating Christmas, but, but really it's a time of preparing ourselves, of remembering that Jesus is coming again, the same Jesus who came as a baby in the manger, the same Jesus who went to the cross the same Jesus who resurrected and ascended into heaven will, will come again. Uh, this time to, to put an end to all the suffering, all the sor sorrows, to, to put an end to all the wars, um, to, make, to make all things right and make all things new again, and to save his people. And so, so in celebrations like Advent and Christmas and Easter and really every Sunday are uh, just things that we do to help point us to the reality um, that, that the God who made everything has come near to us. That the God who made everything um, it didn't create the universe and go off and leave it to spin in whatever direction it would, but he actually is ever-present and intimately involved with his creation. Indeed, we can pray um, that he would work in a little boy's body and know that he is powerful to do that, but also that he is loving and gracious to do that. Um, so, so this God that we serve, this creator who has made all things, is not aloof, is not distant. 
um, he is he is he's come near and so that's what we celebrate and that's why we gather every Sunday to remember that um, we remember the truth of the gospel um, that, that that reality that God has come near um, is something that should freak us out um, apart from God's grace um, God coming near throughout the scriptures um, is a terrifying moment because we are wicked, sinful people who have rejected our true God and our true King and have gone our own way. And yet, the gospel reverses that. And the gospel says, no, God coming near is, is something that is, that is good. That it's not scary because he comes as a servant in Jesus. He comes and he takes the punishment for our sin. He takes the things that we be scared of, that we should fear, and, and gives us righteousness um, in place of our sin. Um, so, we, so we live in this, this world of grace, and we live in this world um, where things have been reversed. But not, but not everything is, is finished yet. Um, there is still suffering. There is still suffering, there is still sickness, there, are st there is still oppression that happens. Um, Jesus dealt with sin and death on the cross, um, but he will come again to make all things new. And so, so as Christians, we live in, a, in an in-between time. We, we live knowing that, that, that there is uh, the God who has come near, that there is the God who is actually with us now, um, but we also know that we are waiting for him to return. We also know that we're waiting for that day um, when when he will put an end to all those things that, that, that keep us from, um, from, from fully knowing the safety of, of being in his presence forever. So Advent and Christmas and these things are really um, meant to point us to that reality. But I think sometimes it's very easy for us to, um, to, to trade in that weighty reality for things that are a little bit... Uh, more comfortable, maybe. Um, it's maybe easy for us to just start focusing on self-improvement. You know, we talk about making room. You know, I could preach a sermon about, you know, decluttering your house and, and you know, not buying more stuff unless you've replaced, gotten rid of some things and, you know, being, being better people that way, you know, because that's going to give you a better life or something. Um, we can sometimes focus on those things. And it's not wrong. Like decluttering your house. I'm not. I'm. I'm kind of a neat freak, so I'm not talking down on decluttering your house. But but we can kind of cheapen what we're doing in these seasons, um, or we can just kind of try to decorate ourselves a little bit. You know, put up some lights and not feel so gloomy, and maybe we'll be okay. Um, but what Scripture calls us to, um, first and foremost, is to humility, and so we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. Um, but traditionally, Advent themes for the four Sundays, you have um, hope, joy, love, and peace as, as traditional themes that we focus on on those four Sundays. And today we're going to deal with a passage that is a passage about joy. It talks about a time of great joy, um, and it's in Zephaniah 3. Zephaniah, if you don't, aren't aware of it, um, is one of the smaller books towards the end of the Old Testament. Um, and so it's, it's before you get to Matthew, but it's 
kind of after the big ones like Isaiah. So I'm going to start with, with uh, reading our passage. We're in uh, Zephaniah 3 and verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. I felt like I had to kind of shout when I said that. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day... It shall be said to, said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time... I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is your day, and we're your people. We come before you to hear your word. Lord, we gather as your people because you have called us, we who weren't a people, you have called us your people. We gather because you have made us new. We gather because we know that you are in our midst and you will teach us as we study your word, as we, as we seek to hear from you today. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would give us ears to hear and help us to understand what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, speak to us. Lord, let what is of me um, pass away, but what is of you, I just pray it would stick in our hearts and it would work in our lives, um, the fruit of righteousness. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Zephaniah is not one of those books that you're into a lot, probably, unless you hang out with Lenny and the crew on Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. at Zoka. 6 a.m., 6.30? 6 a.m. And what, I mean, what an amazing thing to do at 6 a.m. on a Thursday morning, but to read uh, something about shouting and singing aloud. Um, and just as a side note, it's nothing, nothing absolutely special about Lenny, but in the times when I have been able to go to that um, early morning Bible study, I usually leave the house feeling like, this is too early to go. Um, and then I usually leave Zoka like wanting to sing because being with God's people and reading God's word and hearing from him is what I need at that time. Um, so maybe a little plug for the early morning Bible study, but it is there, 6.30s at Zoka. 6 at Zoka. 6.30, you'll just be late. Um, Okay, so Zephaniah is probably not a book that you've spent a lot of time in. It's not a book that I've spent a lot of time in. So I want to do a little bit of a background so that we can catch up to speed. Because I'm reading the last, you know, 16 verses or so. No, sorry, 6 verses or so. Um, of a book that's 3 chapters. 
Um, so, so in chapter 1, verse 1, we read that the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So this is during the time of Josiah. Um, so this is towards the end of the kingdom period for Israel. In fact, the kingdom of Israel, the, Israel had split into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Um, Israel has been uh, taken captive and, uh, and is basically defunct at this point, and Judah is the, the kingdom that is left. Um, and throughout this kingdom period, um, really starting back at the very beginning, when, in 1 Samuel 8, when the people say, hey, all the nations around us, you know those wicked nations around us? They have kings. We want a king like that. We don't want just God as our king. We want to have a, a human king because we want to be like those guys around us that are wicked. Um, and God says, it's not going to go well for you. Um, the kings are going to be wicked. And sure enough, they're all pretty wicked. I mean, there's, there's some exceptions of people who walk in the way of the Lord. But if you read through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, again and again and again, you're going to read, and this guy did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, and occasionally, you'll read about somebody like Josiah. So Josiah comes at the end. His dad and granddad were wicked. Um, his granddad, one of the more wicked on that scale, if there is a scale um, for wicked kings. But, um, but he had a long reign and did a lot of wicked stuff. And so Josiah is, I think, eight when he becomes the king. And in, in Second Chronicles, it says that while he was yet a boy, he started to follow the Lord. Um, so he starts to look around and he sees that um, his, his, his country has turned away from God completely. And they've gone out and they've gotten every false religion they can find that does, I'm not going to go into detail on what they do, but they do horrible, horrible, horrible things. Um, and they've brought it all in. And they're doing these things in the temple, God's temple. And they're, they're doing these things on the high mountains and, and they're finding all these places where they're just you know, setting up these idols and and doing these horrible practices. Um, and Josiah starts to tear all that down. And he starts to, to get rid of those false religions. And so then he does this construction project where he says, the temple of God is in disrepair. We need to go in and repair it. And so he gets all these craftsmen to go repair it. <clears throat> and he's going to pay them to, um, to get, you know, go buy all the timber and things that they need for, for the work. And so he says, go in and get the money that's been deposited in the treasury. And when they're in there, they come out and they get all the money. And they go, oh, hey, we found this book. It's the book of the law. Um, so the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the, the law of Moses, you know, the law that God gave to Moses. Um, and so they read it to Josiah. And he rips his clothes. And he mourns and he weeps and he repents. Because he says... Our fathers have not done any of this. We've done the exact opposite of what God told us to do. And so he repents um, on behalf. Even though he's already been walking, you know, it says that he began to follow God even as a boy. Um, so that, that's, that's the context of Zephaniah's prophecy. I mean, the other thing, so Josiah repents, um, tears his clothes, weeps, and God says, because you've done that, um, you're not going to have to go through the judgment that's coming. But the judgment is still coming. Um, because Israel and Judah have, have rejected God, and they have um, provoked him, he uses that word provoked again and again and again, that he's, he's been patient with them, he's pleaded with them to come back, he's, he's 
He's, he's sent people, you know, uh, prophets to, to, to call them back, and they, they always go in the opposite direction. And so God says, well, Josiah, I'm going to let you die uh, before this happens, but judgment is coming. And so that's the context that we're in, and you're like, how is this a sermon about joy? <clears throat> Just wait. Um, <clears throat> So Zephaniah starts out at the beginning of his prophecy, and he talks about the judgment that's coming on Judah, um, but not just on Judah, but also on Judah's enemies. And God's going to use these foreign powers to, to, to bring his judgment on Judah, but he's also going to judge them because they're not following him either. Um, and so, so one thing that we need to remember as we, talk, as we look at prophecy... I think it's, it can be hard to, to understand sometimes because it's like what it, these things, number one, we maybe aren't in the context, we aren't in the context, and we maybe don't understand what was going on at the time. Um, but sometimes there's, there's just a lot of, of, of language that's hard for us to understand or to know like, okay, is that, you know, is that supposed to be this person or, or that thing? And so just as a, as a simple rule, as you read prophecy, I think it's important to understand that there's, there is a context. When God gives his word to his people, it's always at the right time. It's at the time that he, that he appoints uh, to do it. So there is an immediacy to the, to the prophecy. But in most cases, there's also, you know, kind of like when you're taking a picture and you see things in the foreground and there's something in the, in the background there. It's kind of that sort of an idea where there's this immediate thing that's going to happen, but, but it also points to something off in the future. <clears throat> And, and what Jesus is going to say is that, that those things were pointing to me. They were, there were things that happened before Jesus, but then they, they point to Jesus as well. Um, and we're going to see today that, that, that this prophecy is no different. That it, it does talk about an immediate context, but it also points to something that's in the future. So in chapter 3, verse 9, after talking about all this judgment... And, I mean, just a little sampling of it. <clears throat> the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, and on and on and on. It's, it's not a good day, this day that Zephaniah is referring to. But then in chapter 3, verse 9, his tone starts to change. As God says, for at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. And he goes on to talk about um, that he will leave, I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. So the tone starts to change because the day of judgment, um, this day that, that he's pointing to isn't just a day of judgment, but God is also going to work salvation. So Zephaniah is, is pointing to, to this idea that the judgment is coming, but that God will save um, a, rem, a remnant of his people. So that brings us to our text in verse 14. And it starts off with a command. Command to sing aloud. Rejoice, shout, rejoice, and exult with all your heart. And it's, it's addressed to Zion, to Israel, to, to Jerusalem. And these are all um, 
places that are that are images for for God's work with His people over over time. And these are all these these places are all also images that that carry through to to the New Testament church. This starts with the commands in verse fourteen to sing, to shout, to rejoice, and exult with all your heart. And also in verse sixteen. A command, there's the command, let not your hands grow weak. So we'll come back to both of those commands in a minute. <clears throat> but I want to notice first what those commands are in response to. First, in verse 15, we see the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. So it's in response to God's salvation for his people that we are to, to sing um, and to shout and rejoice, and that we're to let not our hands grow weak. Um, so, so the removal of judgment is the first thing that Zephaniah tells us, that God's salvation is going to be the removal of judgment, and also the removal of enemies. And so here we have that immediacy. There's, there's these, these nations around that are, that are um, going to, to bring, God's going to judge his people through, through them, um, but, but those enemies are going to be taken away. They're going to be cleared away. Uh, but it's not just that immediate clearing away of enemies. But I think as we look forward, it's a, it's a clearing away of, of enemies um, that Jesus does on the cross when he defeats Satan and sin and death. The second thing that we're to, the, that these commands are in response to is God's presence. <clears throat> We see that in verse 15. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And also again in verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. <clears throat> um, king of Israel. When Jesus uh, first calls his disciples, I think in the book of John, it might be elsewhere. Um, but there's the disciple Nathaniel. And, and he says, uh, Jesus, Jesus tells him he saw him when he was under the tree. <clears throat> and he responds, you're the king of Israel. And he says, I told you that, and, and you believe that's all it took? <laughs> you know, you're going to see much greater things than that. Um, but so that king of Israel title is a title that refers to Jesus. Um, and we see that elsewhere as well. Uh, the thing that I want us to see today is that, that, that God's salvation and God's presence um, don't, just, don't just save us from, from the bad things, but it actually reverses those things. It actually takes, um, takes all the things that we have broken and reverses them and turns them on their head and, 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 and changes the effects of those things. And so we'll see that as we look... Um, uh, verses uh, 16, through seven, 16 through 20. So when the Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That doesn't sound like that day that Zephaniah talked about a minute ago when he said a day of darkness and gloom and, and all, of, all of those things that, that sound horrible. Um, God's presence, God being in the midst of his people because he has saved them, because he has 
uh, cleared away the judges. He has cleared away the enemies. This is a, this is a a presence that is um, that that changes that terror and that fear into safety and peace. It changes um, something a, a a feeling of exclusion to a feeling of inclusion. God is not coming to to judge now. He's coming to to save and protect. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. So rather than oppression and disease and, and casting out, rather than shame, there's, there's praise. Um, there's belonging. There's safety. So I want us to see that we have God's presence now with us. Those who have repented of their sins and have turned in faith to Jesus have God's presence now. And we also have God's presence fully realized in the future. So I just want to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 quickly to see God's presence now. Uh, Starting in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So so all who have put their faith in Christ receive the Holy Spirit, as, it, as, as Paul says, the, as the guarantee of our inheritance. So the inheritance is that time um, that, that we read about in, in Isaiah and in Psalms earlier, that we've reading about in, Lam- in not Lamentations, Zephaniah. There is some lamentation in Zephaniah. But that, that inheritance is that, is that time when, when God's presence will be fully realized. But he's given us his Holy Spirit now. And his Holy Spirit is in our midst. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So that's God's presence now. He's given the fullness of Christ given the, the, the spirit to us and the fullness of Christ in his church. But there's also God's presence fully realized when Jesus returns to save his people, not from sin, but to, to save us from, from the effects of our sin in this world. In Revelation 21, 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So this is that Jerusalem that the Zephaniah is, that, that Zephaniah's prophecy speaks to. When it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. God's, God's people who have been saved by Christ um, gather together with God in, in God's place with him as, as the true king. That's the, the full realization of God's presence that we look forward to. So finally, what does that mean for you and me? As I said, we live in an in-between time. We have God's presence now, but we are looking forward to that day when every tear will be wiped away. First, if you haven't turned from your sin and turned to Jesus, today is the day. Um, and and uh, I won't go there, but in, in I think Second Peter, um, Peter talks about people people scoffing and saying, "It's been a while since Jesus left. He said he was coming back. What's going on? Maybe he's not coming back." And Peter says, "You don't understand. For God, with God, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Time as we experience it is not the same for God. And God isn't." Slow, like he's taking a nap and slow to come back. But he's, he's patient. He's waiting. It says that, that he desires that, that, that all would come. That, that none would perish. And so if you haven't turned to him, that day of judgment that, that Zephaniah talks about, it is coming. Um, there was, there was a, a foreshadowing event that happened of that um, to Judah. But, but there is that final judgment that is yet to come when Jesus will return and he will judge the nations. But, but God is patient and he calls you. Um, scripture says that today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, turn to him. And so we invite you. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't turned to Jesus, turn to him today. Humble yourself. Repent of your sins and believe. And he will lift you up. He will make you whole. He will make you new. And if you know Jesus and you're living in this in-between time, what are you to do? And we have the command in Zephaniah uh, to, to rejoice, to sing, to shout, to exult. That means to be very excited and happy um, with all your heart. And one of the passages I didn't read that talks about Josiah is that it says that, that before him there was none, no king like him and after him there wasn't a king like him who, who 
turn to God with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might um, as, as God commanded in the law of Moses. Um, in, in Deuteronomy, uh, God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's what the life of the Christian is to be. It's to be a life of humility. Um, I know for me where this becomes a tension is that I don't really like to feel dependent. I don't really like to feel like things are out of my control. Um, you know, recently in particular, it's been looking at, you know, financial things and going, well, we had that savings, but now we have these bills. Boy, that's a real bummer, and I can get really down about that and miss the fact that God gave me that savings, and he's provided that to pay those bills. Um, and that's a kind of a dumb example from my life because I'm holding on to something that is so weak, and I have the power of God to hold on to. I know that my God is mighty to save, that he is in our midst. So why do I worry about this little thing? But really, when you, when you drill down on that or any other example that I could give you a hundred of of my life, um, there, the desire not to be dependent is really just kind of like the desire to um, just could grow really quickly into the desire to be um, self-sufficient. Um, you might say to be God. You might say to not need God is, is to be God, um, although that's obviously not possible. So there's, there's a whole lot of pride that is a very horrible, wicked sin beneath my fears about money or losing a job or losing someone I love or, or whatever the case may be. But I want to read to you again what God says. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And I woke up early this morning because I was nervous about preaching. And my little five-month-old woke up about the same time. And I was laying there pretending to be asleep so that I didn't have to get up and get up. No, I'm just kidding about that. Um, but I was laying there, and I was praying and trying to fall back asleep. And I just heard her making all of these really loud for 5 a.m. or whatever it was sounds. And almost like shouts. And when I finally got my eyes open and looked over at her, she's got the biggest smile in the world, and she's delighted, and, and, and Debbie's sitting there just adoring her. And that was a picture for me, just a tiny picture of, that's how God is with me. That's how God is with us. Like, like a mom is devoted to her little baby and adores her little baby. Um, that's how, how God is with us. I know that's 
just a word picture that he gives us, but it's amazing. Um, I think it's also interesting to note that that the re- the singing aloud, the shouting, the exulting, the rejoicing that he that were commanded in verse fourteen. We see that that's what God is doing in verses seventeen through eighteen. So what we're being commanded to do in that is to be like God, to be more like the God who saved us. So singing aloud, shouting and rejoicing and exulting are ways that we can reflect back who God is. If the king is in our midst, that's not an abstract hope. Um, We don't pray that God would heal as an abstract thing. We believe that God can and will heal. So if you know Christ, I would just plead with you to embrace the dependence that, that he has blessed you with. And our job of, of keeping our hands from, from growing weak, um, it's not so that we can earn something from God. Because it says, right after that, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. And every clause after that is an I will statement that God makes. It's not dependent on our efforts. But God saves us not just from judgment, but he saves us to a life of, of worshiping him, of, of loving him, and loving others. And so our job, even when we're in that place where it feels like it's very in between, and maybe, maybe that far off hope seems farther off than it ought to, God is being patient with those around us. He's, he's put us here to show his goodness. Um, in, in somewhere in the New Testament, I think it's Paul, says that he, he, does, he, he uses such weak people because he wants to show that the, the surpassing power belongs to God. And that showing that surpassing power is for our joy to know his presence, but it's also so that the, the nations around would know that he is God, that, that there is a day of salvation, that today is that day of salvation. So let's not grow weak. Let's not grow discouraged. What a, what a joyful life we get to live in um, if we remember who our God is and what he's done for us and what he is doing for us. So my charge is that we would live in that great, joyful hope, um, knowing the love that he has lavished on us and knowing that we do have peace. We have peace with him. And we have peace not just now, but, but forever. But now, we can be at peace now, even when uh, the earth trembles and shakes like we read in the song. song. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not only come near, but that you are tender with us. We, we just offer ourselves to you, Lord, knowing that we have nothing 
to give but what you've given us and we thank you for it. May we as a people live uh, lives that are marked by your presence. Lord, we pray that our hands would not grow weary but that we would use them to glorify you. We would use every day of our life to glorify you, not to grow complacent or afraid, but to live in the reality that we have nothing to fear and to, to sing, to let our lives be, be songs of, of great rejoicing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going we're gonna to take communion now. come to the table, we come again at Jesus' invitation. The one who, who took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And the cup and said, this is my blood which is shed for you. And so Jesus commands us to do this in remembrance of him. To do this in remembrance of his salvation. And to do this in, in the great assurance um, that, that he will come again and take us to be with him forever. So I would just invite you, um, take some time, consider your, consider your sin, confess your sin, and, and then receive the, the mercy and the grace and the love of, of Jesus that covers all your sin, that, that takes it away and moves it away from you. Um, and let us stand and sing. Let us exult with great joy um, the, the praise of our God who loves us.